0: Long will
1: It's time for the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way. Turn the volume up. It's
0: the Bobby Eaton Show.
2: Hey, welcome to the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we got a great show going on today. We got Dr. H. J. Harris is going to be talking to us. Uh, He was on the Pettis Bridge, traveled all over the world. Uh, He has a book, and so we're going to be talking to him shortly. But meanwhile, hey, I want to let you guys know what's going on here in Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, we had the Legacy Festival taking place, which was uh, the gospel uh, side of it, which took place um, yesterday. And uh, it took place yesterday here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. And I'll be right with you. Be quiet. Okay. So, we had the Legacy Fest. <laughs> That's Dr. Harris calling in here. So, hey, we're going to get him on here in just a second. So, meanwhile, we had the Legacy Fest going on down on uh, Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, uh, it was great. There was a lot of people down there, you know, walking around. John P. Key was down there performing for the gospel segment of that Legacy Fest. So, I also want to let you guys know to go to the Cultural Center down there, the Kenzie Project is down there, a lot of African art and a lot of African information right down there. Visit all of those uh, black businesses down on Greenwood. Uh, stop by the Vernon AME Church, historical Vernon AME Church, and uh, a lot of things going on. there. Get your literature and get things together. Take your children, inform them of what's taking place here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921 massacre. Now, a lot of people have been contacting me and they're asking questions about the cancellation that took place on, that's uh, going to take place on this Monday. Uh, John Legend and Stacey Abrams were scheduled to um, to be down there at the One Oak Field. And uh, some discrepancies and things took place. Uh, some people felt that though, um, the survivors should have gotten some compensation prior to giving monies to Stacy and and John legend and all of them, which I'm in agreement with, you know, they are the survivors. They are the ones who were there. They survived, you know, so, um, that's, what's going on. Cancellation taking place. They are talking about, they may have it in July or so, or something like that. So we're going to let it be what it is because, uh, this is about the survivors. It's about uh, the people who sacrificed their, their lives down on Greenwood in 1921. You've got to remember that because that's who, it's, that's who it's all about because we are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. And I'm trying to get brothers and sisters to really understand that. There's nothing that you've done in your life, any kind of success that you've ever had on your own. You're standing on the shoulders of those who came before you. So we're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. I'm going to pay a couple of the bills, KBOB 89.9, local. That's in a local radio station. So if you're not local, you can catch us on uh, KBOB 899.com, where you can do the live streams all over the globe and Facebook Live as well. And uh, that's what's going on right here. Uh, in the radio station. All right, coming up, H.J. Harris is in the house, and we'll be right back, okay? We're ready for
3: life beyond COVID-19, beyond boundaries, and the vaccine is our best shot at getting there. Walk in for a free COVID-19 vaccine at the Community Vaccination Center, located at the Tulsa Community College Northeast Campus.
1: Hello, Tulsa. This is Janetta Cole with Sunday Dinner and More by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4
0: p.m.
3: We're
1: located 531
3: East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry out only, but you can call
0: 918-951-5143. That's Sunday Dinner and More by Janet.
3: Searching for ways to grow your business, or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American community, the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start.
2: Number one, find a good wing spot. I know a wing spot.
1: Max wings.
2: Number two, decide if you want a combo or if you want to order
3: a la carte.
1: Huh? What's that? Well, combos come with chicken,
3: veggie sticks, fries, and a drink for a discounted price. A la carte means that you
2: order each item separately.
1: Ah. Uh... Okay. Three. Decide if you want bone-in,
2: boneless, or cauliflower
1: wings.
3: And then determine the delicious flavor you want on your wings.
1: I didn't even know cauliflower had wings.
2: You learn something new every day.
1: Have you been to Max
3: Wings? Yep, yep, Max yep. Wings is located at 782 East Pine Street in Tulsa. We're open Monday through Thursday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Come to Max Wings, home of the dry rub fry.
2: Oh, yeah, that's Max Wings. Hey, I like the wings over there. That's real good. Black-owned business. All right. On the phone, Dr. H.J. Harris. How are we doing there, sir? I'm doing great today. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine, man. You know, glad to have you on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way here in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, boy, do you have history behind you. You know, um, a lot of things. First of all, to some of our audience who don't know exactly where you're from and where you were born and raised. Can you tell us a little bit about that,
1: your upbringing? Sure, hey, Bobby. This is uh, Herbert H.J. Harris. I was born in North Carolina, in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I came up during the days of segregation. Days of segregation? I to segregated high schools and attended the, the March on Washington. I actually saw and heard Dr. King make his speech.
2: Ah, that's so good.
1: I come from the the roots,
2: root yes, from sir. the roots of it all, right? So, yes, sir. so upon uh, watching Dr. King make his his speech, his historical speech,
1: what did you feel, man, during that time? Well, you know, Bobby, at the time I was a college student, and we were so afraid. You know, there had been all kinds of news reports that the white supremacists were going to come. The Ku Klux Klan was going to come. My mother told me, don't go near it. But at that time, being in college and understanding what Dr. King represented, we knew we had to be there. And so when we went there, the thing that we saw, and I believe that the numbers, they always said it was a quarter of a million people. Well, I was at the March on Washington with Dr. King, I was at the Million Man March, and I was at the inauguration of uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm.
0: And let me tell you,
1: I think they had a million people there at the Million Man March. When when Dr. King spoke, there were people from monument to monument there. And the thing that we felt was that we had overcome fear. It, it, and it was not just black people, but it was predominantly black. It was people from churches all around the country, buses. I remember when we got there in Washington, we saw buses and all the buses had a sign saying where they were from. I saw a bus from Wilmington, North Carolina, from Charleston, South Carolina. So it was a a moment where black people and white people came together, where Dr. King's message, when we heard it, we knew it was something that would stand the test of time But the one thing that got me, Bobby, was when they left, I ended up having to stay there beyond the time, and I fell asleep. I laid down on a bench in the park, took a little nap. When I woke up, all the papers were gone, all the people were gone, and I had this sense that nothing had changed, that it was still the same as it had been before his speech. That was not accurate, but when I look at it in retrospect, here we are, almost 60 years later, and we're still fighting some of the same battles. So that that movement brought about a vibration of change, but the battle is still going on right now, especially where you are right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, we suffer from a whole lot here.
1: Our community
2: is totally traumatized, and it's been this way for years from the devastation of the horrific event that took place down on Greenwood, you know, and uh, we're still going through a lot right here. Now, you've been traveling around the world, around the globe. Uh, uh, You've got a book out and some other things going on. What do you think is a challenge for black people today?
1: Well, in our book, one of the themes is that we really have to take a spiritual approach. When we wrote Solving the Race Issue in America, we realized that, The laws won't do it. The courts won't do it. You know, we look at the the same Supreme Court that in 1954 said segregation was illegal in 1896 in Plessy versus Ferguson said that it was legal. Same court in 1857 said a black man in the Dred Scott decision said a black man had no rights that the courts were bound to respect and when we look at the conservative bent of the courts right now, we can see that the courts are a reflection of the prejudice of the people. So that's point number one.
2: Point mm. number
1: two, the laws, the legislators aren't, aren't going to work. I was I, I was uh, disappointed that Stacey Abrams was gonna, not going to be there, but we see that, that we have gone through these voting rights, voting registration, all of these uh, projects to get – all people to vote, but in particular to get black people to vote in greater numbers than ever before, we see the state legislators, the lawmakers. And, you know, whatever state you live in, they don't separate white taxpayers from black taxpayers. No. The lawmakers that we pay.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: Making laws. Yes. are making laws to make it more difficult for us to vote. They're literally going back and doing the same thing in 2021 that was done in 1921 in Tulsa, that was done in 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. It it just seems that the powers that be, the courts and the politicians are committed to really making sure that black people get a lesson. And that lesson is that every time you get to a certain point, we're gonna tear you down. Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898 was the set the mold for how this could be done. We, that's the only insurrection, the only coup that's ever taken place on American soil where white men wrote a Declaration of White Independence that said that white people would never be ruled by people of African origin. It was published in the Raleigh News and Observer November 10th, 1898. And that mindset then permitted the 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 coup of 1898 in wilmington north carolina but what black people learned and white people was that when that happened nobody came the federal government did not intervene the state governments were beginning to reimpose segregation discrimination voting um uh, eliminating people's right to vote and we look right now 100 years later 120 years later and the same thing is happening and so our book says that, therefore, this, this, change, this solving the race issue in America is a spiritual process. The Bible tells us that in, if you have wronged the people, and I think nobody uh, disagrees that black people, black Americans, black people have been hurt by slavery, by discrimination, by segregation, by all of these systemic issues, from policemen killing black men, that we have been hurt. But there's certain people that want to say, well, get over it. Okay. Uh, Ah, yeah. The spiritual principle says if you have hurt a person, if you have caused harm, the Bible says you must, one, acknowledge it. You must, two, ask forgiveness. And you must, three, make atonement. Well, Tulsa is the closest thing to making atonement I've seen so far. Yes, sir. Do you
2: really feel that way, that Tulsa is the closest?
1: It is because it's the you know, in in eighteen ninety eight and here in Wilmington we had our centennial in nineteen ninety eight and it was a real feel good thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well the re- so only, only reason gets- I, only reason I say that, Dr. Harris, is because uh, you know, you're we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, home of Black Wall Street, traumatized African Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh there's still some uh survivors here. And we're still going through it, but to tell you the truth, the way I feel, I think we feel we live in a real racist community, you know, and um, we have some good people out there, some there's some white people out there that really are some good people, but until the good white people start charging up the 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 bad white people, then we still struggle, you know uh, we don't have everybody's not on our team for equal rights. And as we are still here and going through this and because see, Centennial is here, everybody's here, yeah. Everybody's around and it's all blackity black talk and all of this, but this is gonna be over with and uh people like myself are still gonna be here, you know. And exactly. so if exactly. the city of Tulsa cannot take any responsibility for that massacre that took place down there uh on twenty twenty one what kind of atonement or what kind of stuff can it be for us, you know? Because they're not taking no responsibility for it. People were murdered, killed, and, like I said, no responsibility. It's like nobody was ever charged or anything, you know? It, those people couldn't even get insurance policies and stuff cashed in or anything from that destruction, you know? Whites wouldn't get it to them. So it's crazy, yeah.
1: Well, you know... Bobby, I think you really said it, until that spiritual approach is taken, it's not going to change.
2: Not going to so change. We can go
1: through all the celebrations, we can sing kumbaya and all, but <laughs> until a spiritual capitulation takes place, and it really has to take place upon white Christians.
2: You know, because I, mean, I just be talked serious. about that, Dr. Harris. I just talked about that. Don't you know that Sunday mornings and Sundays are the most segregated time of the week when blacks go worship in their churches whites go worship in their churches and it's segregated most segregated time of the the week you know and we and and blacks and whites say they're christians they say they're christians but don't always do christian-like things you know and uh that's crazy because i for my understanding Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't have an address, 1502 East Peoria Street, go over there and visit Jesus. You know, it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? People fellowshiped with each other. And he was around uh, the homeless and the prostitutes and and single-parent moms and trying to help people be who they are. I don't see a lot of that in our Christian community today. You know, I don't see a lot of that work. Not in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: and and Tulsa, it's all over the country. But like you said, Tulsa is just—Tulsa, to me, represented the epitome of what could happen if, if the world was righteous, in a sense that it, the black businesses, the black culture, the black foundation which was built in, in in Tulsa was really a manifestation of much of what Booker T. Washington talked about. Yeah, he did. and And it literally said that if you— Level the planes here, and give black people the same opportunity as white people. heck, if you just don't bother with them, you know mm-hmm. that, that we'll take care of ourselves and and what the what was accomplished in Tulsa was amazing. Can you imagine what America would be like if that had not happened? Oh my goodness. And, And that's what, see, that's what America's missing out. See, white people don't really understand that a closed fist can't accept anything. And as long as white minds are closed to acknowledging what has happened, then America can never have that open fist, that open hand to truly accept the blessings of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, we literally read the same Bible, but my Bible says that the second commandment says do unto your brother, do unto others, as you would have them do unto you. It's in the black Bible. It's in the white Bible. It's in the red Bible. <laughs> it's in the brown Bible. Well, you know, the Bible, so, The Bible, when
2: it comes to me, I was a Bible thumper at one time, was in church and uh, had keys to the church and uh, in the band playing and things like that. But, you know, I kind of had a, a truth uh, reality check when I... Lived overseas, you know, and mm-hmm. looking back at America, and uh, I uh, befriended people from the mother country of Jerusalem and Egypt and things like that. So I had a kind of a different kind of awakening now, you know, when it comes to biblical and spiritual teachings. And I said, wow, man, I didn't know that. They they told me that uh, the King James Version of the Bible, now these are natives from, from those countries, right? They told me they yes, said sir. they said Bobby King James took our book, the Hebrew Scripture, and translated it with the scribes over into English. I said okay, but what he didn't do, he didn't include all the books, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said to myself, what do you mean? Didn't include all the books? He didn't include. He only translated sixty six books in the year sixteen eleven. You know, and then he got uh, uh, Michelangelo to paint a, a picture of Jesus, and they changed Yeshua's name from Yeshua to Jesus in the Bible, in King James version of the Bible. And I said, "Wow, I never knew all of this history." And they were telling me, you know, and they had their robes on and stuff, and they were telling me all the. They say you're from Baby Country, you know, you uh, steal on milk. In America. And I said, well, I said, but the word still lives on, right? They said, yes, but you didn't get all of the word, you know? And and I said to myself, well, they say you and your people, black people have been conditioned to worship up under a European concept of spirituality. I said, yes, you know, I said, wow, man, what are you, what are you talking about? They say, you do, you guys Being slaves were forced to denounce your spirituality and embrace a European spirituality in America. So I didn't, I was trying to figure all of this out because I never heard of this message and these words coming in my direction, you know. And they asked me at the time, they said, Mr. Bobby, they say, what days do do you worship on? I say, Sunday, that's what we do in America, everybody, Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Sunday. They say, do you know what Sunday means? I say, yeah, day of worship. That's when we worship on Sundays. And they started laughing at me, man. They were shaking their heads and they said, and they pointed to the sun. They said it means Sunday. I said, "Whoa, I never heard that before. They say Monday mm-hmm. means moon day. And I said, wow. They say, Bobby, your country was distorted because Constantine the Great and the Roman Catholics set your timeline for you in your country. Men did that. We've never changed. Your country plays with God's time. I say, what do you mean play with God's time? You go up an hour. You go back an hour. You know, you play with God's time. You say 365 days of the year, which we don't know nothing about 365 days of the year because Roman Catholics and Constantine the Great set that timeline for you guys. I had to really think about all of this because I'd been taught a whole different concept of spirituality in my country. you know, And now I understand why the, some of the African-American black churches, do what they do and they act the way they act because we haven't been informed of a hundred percent of the truth of even the Bible that we even study. Yes. You know, so, so so Dr. Harris, you know, and I'm not trying to discourage anybody from their biblical and spiritual beliefs. You know, it's just a revelation that I had after being, Engulfed in the church and Bible thumping and walking around and you know and then then I had to understand I, it made it made sense to me why a lot of African American churches were so emotional in their churches why the pastor would be up there in the pulpit and start hollering blah, 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 and you know I didn't understand but that comes from slavery you know back in slave times. When, you know, yeah. they, they did stuff like that and why we as a people, we're so emotional, we'll, we'll start getting excited and we'll call it the Holy Ghost, you know, when it's just excitement for us. So I don't want I didn't want to get into my soapbox about that and all of
1: that, but that's what I had to
2: experience and really realize yeah. the differences.
1: Well, you know, Bobby, a lot of that, the Bible to me is a lot like a knife. The same knife that can carve a beautiful statue can kill an innocent man. And so the Bible has been put together for many reasons. There are some very valid spiritual principles. If you come from a spiritual perspective, most of the principles in the Bible, if you look in the Quran, you'll see very parallel principles. Oh, most definitely. If you look in the the Bhagavad Gita, you'll see very parallel principles. Exactly. So as a book of principle. It is a great source of understanding, but with the King James Version, the Bible has also been used as a weapon. If you look at the, the whole idea of colonialism, expanding into different countries, there was a process. You first had the explorer show up, and then came the Bible. Right after you landed there, you bought the Bible, the religion, and then within a short amount of time, the people were under subjection of the ruler, whoever bought that. And so the Bible can be used as a as a tool to, you, you look at Hawaii, you know, I think when Captain Cook went to Hawaii around in uh, 1765, there were nearly 400,000 Hawaiians. They had a, a common central government there they had a king they had a a very cogent society well after they introduced the bible and the and the blankets with the smallpox over the next 70 80 years there are only about 70 80 thousand hawaiians left and now the bible had literally helped them get to that point of enslavement so it's a tool that can be used to cut a car but but the principles are very important and that's why in in our book and solving the race issue we keep going back to as a matter of fact when you were saying that chapter three in the book is called american religion and we point out some of the ways that uh religion has been used one that 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in america two many of the lynchings you know when you look back there's a great book uh, called without recourse and it talks about you know the fact that in america we have, if you go back for the last 150 years, there's probably, if you average it out, there's probably a black person lynched every 10 to 15 days over the last 150 years, okay? Mm-hmm. And you, you look at that, you say, well, well, well I, 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 how, how can that be? Part of that, many times, lynchings were done on Sunday after church, and it was an event. And so you have all of these different dynamics that going on. That is so on. true. You know, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. The, the master, the, and the Bible is used selectively. The the, the the slave master always wanted to go to that passage in the Bible that says, servants, obey your master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. And skip some that's, of those, what, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, skip some of those other passages. But from a spiritual perspective, if America is going to achieve its greatness, and, and when we look at America right now and we see all the – the divisions and all the, the people are literally shooting people for no reason. I mean, you look at it right now. You say, well, "Where is America going?" America is suffering from the cancer of racism and injustice.
2: It is suffering from the, from racism it, yes, and sir. injustice.
1: Most definitely, you, Doctor Harris, killing. you're so right. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And it's killing America. Can uh, we were saying? Can you imagine America where Black Wall Street has been permitted? to flourish and duplicate. And it would have been a black Wall Street in in Tulsa. They had a, they called it a black Wall Street in Durham, North Carolina. I don't know that it grew as big as the one in Tulsa, but they had a black Wall Street. You had a a type of black Wall Street in in, uh, uh, Auburn Street down in in Atlanta, Georgia. But Mm -hmm. the one theme you see is that every time black businesses, black people got to a certain level, there was a concerted effort by the government, by the people in power, to stop it, to kill it. It, it always it, had,
2: it always has been that you know. That's had racism here in our country, man. Where, yes. ah, man, it's just certain races. Uh, well, I'm gonna say the white race predominantly don't want to see the black race succeed at anything.
1: And, and there's some people, you know, I mean, the uh, the civil rights era. I lived through that. Uh, I went to school with one of the Greensboro Four. Mm-hmm. And the thing that made Dr. King and that whole, uh, the civil rights era of the 60s, was that white people and black people came together. Right. And that the good white people stood up. When Dr. King wrote his letter from the Birmingham Jail, he said, you guys need to show up. We need some help here. And so good white people showed up in the Civil War. One of the reasons for the Civil War was that the abolitionists, with the election of Lincoln, the abolitionists were growing so strong that the 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 Civil War was not. They always call it the War of Aggression, but it was the South who started the Civil War. <laughs> the North didn't start the Civil War. Right, it was the they South. They they wanted, to, yeah, they wanted to pull away and and clear the a country that was based on slavery, a complete country based on slavery. Right. Exactly. So, and so when we when we when we look at that, when good white people step up and unite with good black people, nothing is impossible. Right. A- That's
2: why we're called minorities. You know, they say minority because we are the few. You know, uh, uh, when you look at uh, a country like the United States of America where there are only like, what, 13 or 14% black people in it and everybody else is uh, – uh, you got other races. Matter of fact, Hispanics have surpassed us here in this country right here, and uh, so you got to always constantly fight. You know, you got to fight for your rights and fight for this and fight for for that, and so much di- divide going on in our own communities, man. You know, think about it. Just within us, you know, division, yeah, that, division within us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I bet. Well, that's one of the keys of the paradigm, when you can get people hating each other, when you, when you can get people distrusting each other, then they can never come together. You know, one of the most powerful spiritual principles is the mastermind principle. The Bible says, when two or more are gathered on one accord, mm-hmm. I am among them. and I am is the making power, is the power to make things happen, to change the world, to create miracles. And when you get two of more minds together on one accord, when we look at the slave paradigm, a slave would get killed for getting together with another slave. Yeah, right. And, exactly. And, and so when you have that type of uh, mentality that don't trust your brother— don't trust your, heck, don't trust yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't trust your lying eyes. To look at a, a George Floyd being killed in front of your eyes and to have the, 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 the defense actually say, don't believe your lying eyes. <laughs> you didn't see what you saw. You look at so many of the instances now of police brutality. Thank God for these cameras. Thank God for television. I think that the good white people want to do right they well you know to. you know
2: you say want to but they're not doing it you know that's the whole thing they're, oh well i hated that my ancestors did that to them and blah 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 and they talk a good talk but they're not doing it you know and i feel but, they're, they're not doing hmm. it at all man i mean you know the good white people ain't charging well, up the bad white folks
1: well not yet well, well, all I, go, yeah. all I can go, all I can go
2: by is what's happening right now. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I can't say yeah. well, it's coming. You know, I can't say that, but what's going on right now? They're not, they're not stepping yeah. up to the plate, uh, charging up them bad white people. You see what happened to uh, 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 the, the Capitol on January the sixth? You know, and all of them coming up. Oh well, oh man, we got man, they got to do something. You know you got to be active and get involved and boots on the ground, you know what I mean, and uh,
1: actually do something. Well, you know, there's this division taking place, the division between the power elite and the ordinary people.
2: For sure. So you
1: you have the power elite, which is basically white male people who run everything, and then you have the people elite, which is the ordinary people, white people, black people, red people, who who basically live under their rule. Mm-hmm. And so even you take something like gun control, I think a statistic says seventy or eighty percent of Americans want gun control, want of them say, hey, um, I'd like to know that the guy who has the gun has enough sense to handle it and knows how to use it and if he's crazy he shouldn't get one mm-hmm. Then you have leaders in certain states saying, Hey, not only do we don't we don't want background checks, we don't even want you to have to Fill out a piece of paper. Right, so You can exactly. just go buy a gun. It doesn't even matter.
0: It doesn't it matter
1: does, at all. It doesn't matter at all. So you have these two, these two opposing figures, power elite, mm-hmm. and then you have the average, ordinary white people and black people. There's going to come a time when the good people, mm-hmm. the good people, will step up. Now, you well, know, I'd be like glad. I tip. wish. I'm
2: hoping that I'm. A- I'm still living when I see that, because uh, until that happens, it, it's going to be uh, David and Goliath situation, you know what I mean? So we're manipulated by uh, society and this country, and, and until policies start getting changed, and start until white people start realizing the trauma that they've imposed on African Americans, and, you know, because yes. we're still in the struggle, man, here it is. Twenty
1: twenty one we still struggling, man. Yeah. Well you know though, there's a there's a great saying. I think I think uh, I, I think uh, Frederick Douglass says it but it says basically you can't hold another man down unless you stay there with him. And so white people are suffering from the greatness that they can't reach because they're holding us down. They're doing things to undermine the development of, of, of black economics, the black evolution, the growth. The, the moment the white and black people, the moment they say, "Look, what would America be like if we didn't have segregation? If we didn't have it?" We can't change the past, but we can acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Because once we acknowledge it, we can deal with it. We can say, "Acknowledge it." And you I- know, it amazes me to ask forgiveness. I, yeah, think, I, I, I think I think I think
2: we were better. Not to cut you off, but I think we were better as a people before integration came in. I really do. We we I believe we were. We got a better education, that's for sure. Better okay. education, better mm-hmm. economic development. I mean, <laughs> I live here in North Tulsa, man, and uh, I didn't have to go anywhere across the tracks get anything because we all had it over here. We had grocery stores, we had banks, we had this, we had that. Uh, You know, it was little mom and pop shops everywhere. And you didn't have to go anywhere. You didn't have to, we had meat meat packing places and, you know, but when integration came in, it allowed a lot of African-Americans to leave uh, the community and move elsewhere. And that's what they did you know and they yeah, moved absolutely. elsewhere and they, lef- they left yeah. their mothers and fathers homes and uh you know moved into apartments and rental houses
1: and all of that next to mr yeah. gilmore you know and uh yeah
2: that's what took place but, you
1: know also you know also bobby when we came out of integration there was a paradigm created when, if you look at school integration for example the parent the same people who fought integration was still in charge after the courts ordered integration to take place. Mm-hmm. And so it, it always amazed me. You know, like, like I guess I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. The same Board of Education that spent about eight or nine, let's see, the Supreme Court, Supreme court decision came down in 1954. We didn't integrate here until 1968, 14 years later.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the same group that fought integration for all those years, once the, the court said you got to do it, They were still in charge. Right. And their interpretation of integration was the same racism, racist philosophy that had perpetuated segregation. So what did they do? They go and close the black schools, yeah, which is saying subconsciously the black schools are no good. Okay, they slowly phased out all the black teachers, okay, and then their interpretation of integration was that the white schools were better, and let's bust these black kids to the white schools. I had never seen any any reverse busting. i i've never seen oh, no. a situation where the white schools kids were bust to a black school up in the well, hood. well, you know now, what they did it here in Tulsa they bu
2: uh-huh. they bust some white kids to our uh, what I call our castle in our community, which is Booger T. Washington High School. But here's what uh-huh. happened. The whites said, well, since our kids got to go there, we're going to make it a magnet school to whereas you have to have certain grade, uh, uh, certain grade limit. If you stayed across the street yeah. from it and you were black, you couldn't really go to it. And we're going to make it yeah. almost like a college campus. And that's just what yeah. they did. And yeah. that's just what they did. So when I go over there to the school I graduated from, the culture is totally different today yeah. than what it yeah. was, and we lost that culture. So that's what happens <laughs> systematically when people get together and they try mm-hmm. to do stuff, you know. Yes. Uh, they yes. will they will change the narrative of what it really is, or you know what I mean, yes. to make you think that way. Not, in most black schools, they didn't do that. They just bust the blacks out to the white schools,
1: and that was it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny when you said that the school that I attended here, Williston, I think is now one of those magnet schools.
2: <laughs> yeah, they become magnet
1: schools. You know, yeah. you, you... Oh, the school of uh, of science and mathematics. They they redefine exactly it. exactly. You know, you know, Bobby. One of the amazing things, the power to define, is so awesome. I I remember Ben Ami, who was a uh, one of the Hebrew scholars and leaders of an Israel, Ben-Amiz used to say the power to define gives you the ability to really determine how people respond to it so you can define something as good and people will love it you can define something as bad and they'll hate it same thing
2: the yeah, same, <laughs> okay. same exact thing
1: it's just a, the definition that you give of it so is uh, uh, as we go forward and look at Tulsa I have to really take my hat off to you all because when I say you all have gone further than anybody else as far as commemorating and bringing about a resolution. You know, you see, I've I've been keeping up with the news and I see that the the legislators and the, 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 the governors, like this pushback, you know, that's taking place. But, you know, many times we have to... We we can get so focused on what we didn't accomplish that we forget what we did accomplish. One of the exercises I like to do every day is to focus before I go to sleep on all the things I did right today, mm-hmm. all the things I accomplished today. Maybe, maybe I didn't do that, I didn't do the other, but I did get this done, I did get that done, I did get the other done. And so the more we focus on our accomplishments, maybe we didn't get the whole pie, maybe we didn't even get in the kitchen, but we got a slice. Now you can be yeah. unhappy and say, "Well, all we got was a slice," or you can say, "I got a slice today, and tomorrow I'll get two."
0: Mm-hmm. You're right at least about I
1: that. know how to get one. You're right about yes,
2: that. So right. Well, look here. We're gonna mm-hmm. take a little short pause for the calls. We're gonna come back. I'm on uh, on the show with Doctor H. J. Harris right here. We we've been chopping it up, talking about a whole lot of things. You on KBOB? 89.9 FM, and uh, tell your family, tell your f- family members and friends, hey, to tune in, and uh, we'll be right back, okay?
3: Lawn maintenance and landscaping is hiring today. Must have a valid driver's license and must have a two years verifiable experience mowing and lawn maintenance with the company. Strict attendance policy is required. Honest, dependable, and team oriented no sex offenses or crime against children. Must apply online at www.laststoplawnmaintenance.com. Apply today. Food on the Move and Warden Comprehensive Health Services presents the drive-through COVID vaccination clinic. Happening May the 11th, 2021 from 4 to 7 p.m. The first 100 participants receive two-dose Moderna's or with a one-dose Johnson & Johnson. If you want to skip the line, call now at 918-388-1990. Food on the move every Tuesday on Greenwood. Let's go fresh, Tulsa. We're ready for life beyond COVID-19, beyond boundaries. And the vaccine is our best shot at getting there. Walk in for a free COVID-19 vaccine at the Community Vaccination Center, located at the Tulsa Community College Northeast Campus. Tulsa Transit is excited to introduce the Route 969 Workforce Express Network. The new Highway 169 Corridor Job Shuttle, WEN, is a fixed route service offering access from North Tulsa and Turley. Stops include Macy's, Amazon, Whirlpool, and Port of Catoosa save time and money when you ride the Wen Route 969. And for your protection, buses are clean daily. Visit TulsaTransit.org for more
0: details. Okay, well, North Star Security and Private Investigation provides
3: over 35 years of experience to ensure your security and investigation needs are met.
0: Our officers are clean pre- and state certified. If you are seeking employment, stop by our website at www.northstarsecurityandpi.com.
3: For details on quotes and employment opportunities, call today at
1: 918-248-6592. That's 918-248-6592. North Star
3: Security and Private Investigation. Hey, it's Denise with Addie May's Food for the Soul, where we cater to vegan, Presbyterian, and everyday soldiery soul food. We have Meatloaf Mondays, Taco Tuesday, Chicken Wheat Wednesday, Turkey and Dressing Thursday, Fish Fridays, Barbecue Saturdays, and Sundays is our Street soul, soul food. We're located at 5266 North Peoria. You can contact us with call-in orders at 918-845-2989. And we also deliver with DoorDash.
0: Hope to see you soon.
2: All right. Hey, we're back on The Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way out of the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, as we approach the centennial uh 1921 uh it's bittersweet on the phone dr h j harris we've been cutting it up talking a lot about a whole lot of things so let's tell let's talk a little bit about your book okay dr harris yes sir can you hear me yeah we can hear
1: you got you fine yes sir well i'll, I'll tell you um uh, bobby <laughs> We felt compelled to write this book after President Obama was elected. I really you know, coming through the sixties, we never had any idea that it was that America would ever have a black president and 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 definitely not one named Barack Hussein. Yeah, Obama. right.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> but but uh, once that was done I really in my heart I felt that it was all done, that, that we had gotten beyond racism. I knew that black people had voted for him in great numbers, but I also knew that white people voted for him in great numbers, too. And I thought we had made a breakthrough. But I watched what happened after he was elected, especially that second term where it really, the Congress really fought him at every step. In other words, it it became clear that the goal was not how to make America better. The goal was how to stop Barack Obama. The goal was things that they, you know, used to be in support of just because President Obama had supported it, they were now against it. And Almost
2: so, definitely. When I
1: saw that, I said, you know, this is amazing that this paradigm of racism is still here. That people, even though, like we say, the good people voted for him, the clear people voted for him, that there was still that negative mindset, that negative spirit It was saying, take America, take our country back. Well, what happened? Did somebody invade us and we didn't know about it?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So when that spirit came about, make America great again. Well, what happened to America? Well, America had a black president. So, you know, what are the subtle messages being perpetrated by the words? So make America great again. It's like, hey, we had a black president that made America ungreat. Take America back. What does that mean? That means we have a black man leading the country. We gotta get a white man back in charge. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we when we look at those kind of things, we said I said, you know what, America is in need of transformation and so we began to really put together solving the race issue and we picked that title because not solving it is not an option. If we don't solve it, America will never achieve the greatness that it could achieve. As long as Americans the power elite. Not the average ordinary citizens. They the average ordinary citizens take their key their cues from the power elite. But as long as the power elite is holding on to this paradigm of racism the man, they they gotta learn how to they, be
2: free, man. I mean how to be fair, man. That's
1: yeah. it. To be fair. But that's all we gotta do is just read our own Bible and mm-hmm. sit, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's, that really prompted us to write the book and write it from the perspective of uh, that that spiritual mm-hmm. perspective of acknowledgement, and that's why I we think, covered so many of the things. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: I think sometimes the Bible pacifies us and makes us very humble, and and we don't and it takes the fight out of us sometimes. Now I believe in the word and stuff like that, but I think it humbles us to the point to where we as black people won't have that fire. We don't have that. Straight-up fire to go and do, man, you know, because uh, you ever been to church on Sundays and after the pastor gets through preaching and talking and everybody's humble and kind of low-keyed and stuff like that, going to go out and get some dinner at, uh, you know, Luby's or something like that. But it sometimes I don't think Jesus was a was so passive like that. I think he was one of the homeboys. I mean, he was radical. He was out here in the streets. And he was doing stuff. I don't think he was as passive as Mm -hmm. a lot of blacks think he was. He's just going to turn the other cheek and just be like, I mean, he went into that uh, situation and knocked over those candles and everything. So there's some things that uh, he was aggressive about, man, very aggressive, you know, and people want to always paint this picture of Jesus being a soft shoe, you know, and he wasn't, he would, to me, he wasn't a soft shoe, man. He was uh, at all. He had his, He had his boys with him, and they were out, and they were they were knocking down walls.
1: Well, absolutely, but you know, back to the book a second. We cover American religion, which really shows how that very, the interpretation of the Bible and the interpretation of uh, what Jesus was about, you know, very often literally created some um, of the same contradictions that are keeping America from, from becoming the greatest right. the greatness that it could achieve. You know, you know, one of the things that we wanted people well, to see to be that
2: about you what you're saying right there. Uh-huh. The body of Christ has been sliced up into so many pieces and you got so many different religious bodies. Uh you got Baptists, you got Methodists, you got Church of God, Church of Christ, uh all of these different entities who have different theological concept of the Bible, and some of them disagree. Uh, well, you can wear shorts, you can wear a short skirt in my church, but you can't wear no short skirt over here in this church. Uh, we play music in our church, instruments and drums and stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't do none of that over here in my church. And I think it's all uh, a lot of religious, man-made uh, religion. You know man has created a lot a lot of that type of uh, uh stuff, not God, not Jesus, but man created it to mm-hmm. fit his own purpose
1: of what he wants to do to display God's word well, you know Bobby that's I think that's why leadership is so important you know when you know when we look at the Bible, we look at what I call it the Moses principle that whenever you have people who are enslaved or lost or not achieving their full potential, somebody comes along, whether it's a Moses or a Dr. King or a Frederick Douglass or a Sojourner Truth, somebody comes along that helps lead the people out of that. So until, when we look at, as as you were describing, the, a lot of the contradictions and diversity among the churches, that they're the times are calling for a new leader. The times are calling for a person to come up, mm-hmm. a Dr. King or, or well, whomever in it is. Well, that too,
2: but it, the, time, the times are calling for the truth because the truth will set you free. And once you get, you know, people used to go to church and all that kind of stuff because their grandmas went and they mom and daddy went to church and they went there mm-hmm. and they followed a European concept of church. You know, and that's what that's what it was for years. But now the youth and younger people have technology, they're finding out more, they're understanding more than what they weren't just taught out of tradition. You know, out of tradition. So therefore that's why you see a wave of different uh uh spiritual teachings being done. I mean, you got big churches like Transformation Church with Michael Todd and you got Joel Osteen and all these different Uh, entities and stuff, because it's become different, and people are getting away from traditional way of doing things in the church, and that's why a lot of the smaller churches are starting to fall to pieces, because a lot of the old pastors don't want to pass the torch to some of the younger pastors and younger people, and the Bible says a church can't grow without its young. So you have to have young people involved. in. And it says we're two or more gathered in his name, right? That's what it says. That ain't ain't Bobby talking. That's what it says in the Bible. But a lot of us Mm -hmm. don't want to adhere to those teachings, and we don't want to go about and accept the change, because we don't like the change in our churches.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's that's all true, Bobby. I mean, all of that is true, but we still, that is a reality that we're gonna to have to learn how to deal with. We're gonna to have to. Well, we're we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it, what, dealing with it right it. now. We're dealing with it that's right it. now as we speak. And as we deal with it, to really look towards, you know, we have to have a vision of what we would like it to be. You know, we've been living. There's a book called "Strange in a Strange Land" that we we've been literally living in another man's dream. America was the dream of the founding fathers and they put us in this country based on how they wanted to see us as three fifths of a person. Oh, for sure. And 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 that was the dream that was created. We have to have a new vision. A, a new vision for America, a new vision for ourselves, a new vision for our people. In Black Wall Street the the people who founded that back in in that period before uh, um before May thirty first of uh nineteen twenty one, the people who did who built Wall Street, Black Wall Street had a vision. And they worked at it in manifest. Now that vision was cut down, but they still had a vision. So we as black Americans and as white, we have to start developing a new vision for how we would like our country to be, number one. Well and then yeah, two, we We have to act on that vision. We can't just have the vision. we got to start acting on it to bring it about. And And that's going to require leadership. That's going to require greater understanding of where we've been, how we got there, and then where we want to go.
2: And that comes back to my saying that I talk about all the time, until we get back to the black Wall Street way of life throughout our country, then we're going to have some issues because every other Mm -hmm. race, can build economic wealth and growth. The Hispanics are building and growing and they got, you know, Hispanic town and Asian got Asian town and they can all go and, you know, the, the Native Americans got casinos and stuff all over, all over. But blacks, we don't get together because we're more consumers than we, we don't see the, the, the economic growth amongst ourselves, how we can develop and have a better life. Because we would rather go spend money on white man's ice. His is colder than our ice, you know. So that's what we end up doing. We end up going in those directions. Oh, his ice is real colder than my ice, you know. So uh, we got to get out of that mental concept of brainwashing, what I what I see in a lot of areas of our lives. You know, you got to make some change. Change only comes if you want to make a change, you know, and... Uh, a lot of us know about change, but we just don't act on the change. Well, uh, I ain't going to vote because they're going to elect who they want to <laughs> elect anyway. You know, we get that kind of mindset, you know, and uh, it ends up not helping us but really kind of hurting yeah. us and holding us back. But I
1: think, yeah, but I think we've been a large extent We've gone beyond that. You know, when I look at the work that Stacey Abrams did, you know, that one of the shocking things about this whole election was the fact that she turned Georgia around and they elected two Democrats to go to the Senate. And so the, the things that we have been doing to get more voter participation, to help black people get out and get their voices heard, those things have been working. I mean, the Georgia is an excellent example. And one of the reasons that the last administration wants to change all the rules is because black people have done a great job, that we have gotten up with you. One of the things that's most appealing and most inspiring is to see how many black mayors there are, how many black attorney generals there are, how many black legislators, city council members there are. And that says that we're making some progress. we got to do a lot more, but we, we are definitely making some progress. And the fact that these legislators are trying to change the game is a good signal to us that we've done a good job. They wouldn't be changing the game, changing the election rules, changing the laws, if we had not done a good job in getting out the black vote. We could always do better, but believe me, we have done a good job to this point. We just gotta be more diligent and do better. We got The one thing I find about the, the other people is that they have a vision of the world they want. They want black people in a certain place. They want Hispanic people in a certain place. They want poor white people in a certain place. They have a clear clear vision, and they work at making that vision manifest. We as a people, black people, we as Americans, good Americans who want America to fly as eagles in the sky, have to create a new vision of the way we want it to be and then to work on making that vision real.
2: Yes, we do. I mean, we've got some we've got some progress that is taking place but we need a whole, whole lot more progress to take place cuz if you got that uh, a train going down the tracks right and you got a you got an engine and you got a caboose and if you don't take out any of those box cars in the middle to bring it closer together then hey we still struggle you know and we still struggling this day but it's a, it's a little bit it's, we're getting a little bit we're getting there you know but uh we got to be more conscious in our own communities that's why i'm always preaching that uh the local election elections is, is way more important than the national elections you know because oh yes you you got to get with your city councilors and your state representatives and senators who are, who govern your community we elect them and so we need to hold them accountable for for the positions that they they embark in, you know that they embark in, you know. So uh, and sometimes we don't do that because we don't understand. You know, you may know you you may know Johnny Junior. He's running for a city council or something like that. You may know him as a person, but you don't know his title that he's a city councilor or he's a he's a, a representative. You don't know the titles and what the job duties are. So I'm in, I'm always encouraging people. Find out these titles and what they can do and what they cannot do. So you will know and you will be informed, you know, you won't just be voting for Sabrina because you know her. She's Sabrina. You know, you will know these titles, and you'll be able to call Mm -hmm. Sabrina, well, I know you can't do this, but I know you can do that. And, you know, to get the – and that's the educational part, you know, that uh, Mm -hmm. we need to teach each other with.
1: Well, you know, one of the purposes, one of the things in the book we did a whole chapter on observations and commentaries to really a lot of the things that we need to know to get an understanding of how stuff works, you know, from, uh, you know, like how, how, how black police officers were, how black police officers were treated differently from black police officers, how the, uh, for example, to look back at somebody like marcus garvey we've we've come along this road before where you had black leaders who were able to do massive things people don't really remember uh many people don't know that garvey had millions of followers not we talk about these mega churches now but garvey had millions of followers yes, he of black did. man yes
2: he did
1: and so to really begin to get an understanding of you know the things that we have accomplished the things that the, 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 the transformation that has taken place to educate our people on that so that we can now change our paradigm from we are the victims to we can be the victors, And take this, as you say, take the country to where it should be. Take the country to the greatness that it can be. It's a massive job, but I, I take my hat off to what you all are doing out there in Tulsa.
2: Well, it's a lot, lot of work involved, you know. It's just a <laughs> lot, of, a lot work. of work. Oh, man, a lot of work. And I encourage my team over here at KBOB 89.9 to get involved and to promote more and do this more and do that. Because if we spread that word amongst our community, maybe it takes a, a, a spark. Maybe we can get that fire started. <laughs>
1: Well, I tell you, that was one of the main reasons we wrote the book. I thought that if we could put the history, the the issues, and then the way forward in one book, and don't make it too long, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. That if we could do that, where our young people would feel just as comfortable reading it, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't need more degrees than right, a right. thermometer, where you could pick the book up and read about how to create a slave.
2: Yeah, exactly. Some of the
1: things that were done to make a slave, and mm. when we can read about how the the uh, America's record in dealing with black folks, some of the things that were done, and the then say to ourselves, but still I rise, It's still, in spite of all that, we can go forward. Yeah. White people can see it. So many white people don't really know, you know, like, you know, it, when you talk about history, it's, as someone once said, it's always his story. The one who has the pen writes the history the way they see it. The, the, the lion will never write the history of the victorious hunter. <laughs> <Okay>? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and so we have to start writing the history in accordance with what is pleasing to us. Once we do that, and not just black people, but white people working together, once we begin to do that, this change will transform itself. But the, the thing I must caution the country is that if we don't do it, if we don't do it, then Abraham Lincoln said very powerfully, he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus said that at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, he said, if you listen to these sayings and you don't obey, then you're like building your house on sinking sand. And when the winds come and when the rains come, it will beat that house down to the ground. Well, and I, so I, is I, where believe is I believe right
2: that. I believe those statements and stuff like that. But I also believe when black people decide in their hearts and in their minds to start educating our youth, our young babies and kids who are coming up, telling them the truth, getting them involved and showing them the black Wall Street way of life, when they start doing that, these little 11, 12-year-old boys, because what we got is a, we got a lot of single-parent moms who are raising black men alone by themselves, you know, all alone. They don't have a, a male influence in their life, and they don't have anything, so they have to find a way. And I encourage those single-parent moms to get with mentoring programs and put your boys in sports and stuff so they can be around the coaches and things like that, you know. Uh, because, man, we get getting the influx of that. You know, some of our youth and young people, they don't even, and our younger men, some of them don't even know how to change a flat tire, man, on a car, you know, uh, something as simple as that. But we know they know how to play PlayStation, you know what I mean, and all of those uh, that technical stuff like that. They, we got to get back to our young men who are not skilled at a very high level as far as technology is concerned, to get them skilled in an area of painting, plumbing, electrical, start building back the community, to start building. Because as I see here in North Tulsa, I look around, I see new houses being built and things that. and ain't no brothers building nothing. You know, it's all Hispanics. They have their, their sons and kids and stuff out there with them, helping them build this stuff, you know, so we're not getting those skill sets that we really need in the blue collar area. We're not, you know, we're not getting it, and we
1: need we now, need to have now, it. Yeah. Now, why do you think that is? Because there was a time when when I went to school, you had to take trades, you had to take well, yeah, shop. I don't I care whether you were
2: you to they took it out
1: tailoring, electricity, yeah. bricklaying. Why do you think we're at this point now where that's not there?
2: Because Mm -hmm. they took it all out of schools, all of what you just said, brick lane, mechanics, all of that bill. They took it out of school, and a generation came up uh, not knowing how to do any of that, and that's what Mm -hmm. happened. They grew up not knowing how to do it. You know, because, Uh you know, my dad and, and others who fought for civil rights and who were out there fighting and stuff like that who demanded that we do chores and work and stuff like that And we had to paint hammer build and stuff it was an option you know if your daddy had you out you just had to do it and then we came yeah. up we came up and we kind of dropped the ball because we said i ain't gonna do my kids the way my daddy and my daddy and mama did me so we we get and we got it. We got air conditioned now. Now Jojo can have his own room. It ain't got to be two or three of us in the same room no more. You know what I mean? And so got like you ain't got to wake up early in the morning and go cut the grass. You know what I mean? You can just wait to whenever you feel like it. And see a lot of the chores and 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 things and ladies didn't come in with take their kids in the kitchen with them and show them how to cook or anything like that. So we got. It just got messed up. And as the years have passed, I'm a grandfather now. You know, I'm a grandfather. And some of the other generations, technology came in and started taking over people's lives. And so, hey, of course, you don't have to do a much of anything in certain areas. Now, I'm not going to say young people are bad people because we got a lot of great uh, – uh, Young people out here grinding and they doing stuff and they going for their dreams, but we got we got a section of them though that needs some counseling and needs some therapy, you know, just to, to because they don't know where to go or what to do. They have no physical and mental idea of what to do, and the system systematic control is a beast because the system will lock you up, put you in the penitentiary, you know, and for a minimal crimes, little bitty stuff, you know, but uh, white society, and they can do major crimes and big businessmen and never get no time at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. You steal $100, you go to jail for life. You steal a million, you go to jail for a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, is so true. But you know, but you know something, Bobby, I think that we have to... Start writing our own history in so many ways, you know, when, when you look at, you know, I have this, sometimes you look at the big picture and you look at the small picture. There's always mm-hmm. this sense that there's, there's somebody behind the scenes, there's some mindset that's controlling all of this. So the fact that all of a sudden, all across the country, the trades were taken out of the schools. You know all of a sudden, by the time you go through the seventies by the early eighties, there are no trades in the schools and at all I think that and and I think back and on a, and i'm I'm going to put in a in a paradigm of racism. The thing that the sixties taught us was that black people could come together, they could demonstrate, you could get a million of them at the march on Washington that we could ride the buses and that we were willing to put our lives on the line
2: to help America we, become we the great did. nation that yeah, it said we, to
1: we do. Did. We did it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 70s, the powers that be, the people running the schools, the same people that we've been fighting in the 60s are still in control. So what do they say? They say, you know what? These black people were able to finance their own freedom rides and finance this. Let's, what can we do to undermine that? And so they said, let's take, let's take the trades out of school, because the one thing about the, the 60s was that ordinary people, the bricklayers, the undertakers, the carpenters, the plumbers, the black folks who were in these trades industries were the ones who put up the money to get the boys out of jail, were the ones who put up the money to, to help kids go to school. I remember when the church, once, one Sunday out of every month, was, the church took up money to give the historically black colleges. And so in the 70s, the system, this, whoever this amorphous body is, this people that we call they, they said, let's take the trades out the school because too many people who don't have an education are able to get out there and, and fight for their freedom. Okay? And then they'll, they'll do it in an insidious way. They'll say, let's focus on the, the idea that you got to have a college degree. If you don't have a college degree, you ain't nothing. You, can't, you won't be successful. So they did that in the 70s. The 80s, they come along, and now all those people who used to have trades and who used to have a way to do stuff, they haven't been trained. They're coming out of high school. They got no skills. They don't go to college. They have no jobs because they can't do anything. And so what do they do? They start escaping. They start taking taking drugs, you know, because I can't get a job. I don't have any skills. Let me at least get high. Mm-hmm.
2: And the reason and about the,
1: continue-
2: that high part mm-hmm. that you're talking about, now, you, uh, Dr. Harris, look at this, the high part. The high part came in in the uh, early 80s when crack and mm-hmm. cocaine came into the system. And, right. and hip-hop culture took over, right? And it was gang-related yeah. with the bloods and the crips and mm-hmm. all of that and drugs. Well, I got to understand something that black people, mm-hmm. we don't manufacture no drugs. We don't have no boats. We ain't got no planes. Mm-hmm. Man, we ain't got no airplanes or nothing to distribute, no drugs at all. So the system itself implemented those drugs and dropped them off in the communities, our communities with Pookie and JoJo and them, and they took that, 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 those drugs and went into our communities and dispersed those, that poison to our community.
1: Exactly.
2: You know. Exactly.
1: And that's. That's 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 that that's that they I'm talking about. They're the ones that brought it in. You had the Coen Tell Pro. You had that whole. I mean, from the top levels of government, people bringing drugs in the community to sell in, in the black community to make money to go <laughs> to go free help other people fight for freedom in other countries. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was, <laughs> and, you know. That's right. And so then you get so the eighties as you get to the end of the eighties. You had black men now who were doing drugs, who were becoming drug dealers, who were getting up to the top of the heap, you know, where even with all the destruction. You come into the 90s, you get the, the era of structured sentencing. You get mm-hmm. the Bill Clinton era, where now three strikes and you out, you're, out and you're out of now there. able to take the very the very behaviors that you created by bringing the drugs in the community and now putting the people in jail forever to take them out of circulation. That's true.
2: And that's, and that's, systematic, that's systematically designed to be that way. Because also, Absolutely. think about it. When them drugs and them drug dealers, they get busted, they go to jail. They go to private, yep. privately owned prisons, owned by private that's people. It. Private people get their money and funding from the government. You know what I mean? So they want to keep them prisons full. That's, that's why right. they face 68% uh incarcerated black men are in prison. You know? Yeah. The prison system is 68 percent of black men locked down. You know, so it's it's just and you it's know, all by the all for profit. All by yeah. <laughs> so, so
1: profit and design. So
2: design so
1: now you can undermine the people and make money at it. <laughs> oh yeah, you can get paid, man, off the people. You know? Shoot, sure, <laughs> yeah. man. You and can, then, and then yeah. But then, you know what, uh, Bobby, the, the worst part, in the in the early 2000s, they came up with the faith-based initiative because the church was always the backbone of the black community. From the days of slavery, the church, the days of education, the historically black colleges, the churches were funding those colleges. They were church schools. But by the 2000s, they came up with the 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 uh, what they call it? the faith based initiative, <laughs> where now yeah. you start pulling the churches in and say let's give them some grants and faith based stuff and get the churches scared to death now oh, of man. using their tax exemption. Yeah,
2: exactly. Mm-hmm. All these programs and nonprofits and everything. So you know you yeah. can you can buy people and people will be hush hush, you know, and they won't <laughs> listen to nothing else and they because yeah. out of fear. And- fear that they're gonna lose what the government or mainstream is giving to them.
1: This whole day that we keep talking about, this day, once you had that faith-based initiative, then you basically neutralized the churches to a large extent, which had always been the backbone of the black community. Now there's still some uh, hanging in there, but you take, take the trades out of schools, get people into taking drugs, get people into selling drugs, set up a penal system where they can stay in jail forever, figure out a way to make a profit of keeping people in jail, and then undermine the churches through the faith-based initiative. And now you have literally neutralized a powerful part of the black community. And so is there a day, you know, there are people who are like, well, there ain't no day you, and now there's a day. Somebody has a plan, and that plan is being executed. But we have to come up with our own plan, you know, when you have a garden, you never have to plant weeds, okay? Weeds you. come up automatically. That, that's true. <laughs> you, even if you plant flowers and don't pull up the weeds, your flowers will be consumed. So we're going to have to do two things. Start planting flowers. As you said it very much earlier, you said the truth will set you free. It will. Plant flowers based on truth, based on acknowledging the facts, getting asking forgiveness for the transgression, and seeking atonement to make things right. And then you got to pull up the weeds, all those negative things that have been undermining our people, that have been undermining our efforts, and that have been literally destroying the foundation for what America can be as a country. And that's why we wrote our book, man. I hope all your listeners go out and get a copy of of the Waste Issue in America. Yeah, how can they get it? It's on Amazon. Amazon has it, all the online sites, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, they all have it. Uh, We have a website, www.solvingtheraceissue.com www.solvingtheraceissue.com. And with that, you can get the book from us. You can get it through Amazon. And when you go to our website, solvingtheraceissue.com, you'll find a whole, we had a whole series of college students reading from the book. So you can literally listen to the whole book being read by college students. You can see some of our other speeches, some of the other programs that we offer. But most of all, you can become a part of what we call the Solving the Race Issue in America Movement. We have a Facebook page, Solving the Race Issue in America, and the Solving the Race Issue in America Movement, which is a Facebook page where you can go and write and give your ideas and share your stories. Once we get all the, as we do all that together, we're going to help bring our people to a point where we can grow, prosper, and achieve our destiny.
2: All right. Well, hey man, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. We covered a whole lot of stuff on the show, man. And uh I'll get <laughs> I'll get you back, you know, get you coming back. Okay you know, and uh Thanks we'll, so much, Bobby. We'll do that, man. I appreciate you and everything that you stand for and what you're about, okay?
1: All right, man. keep up your good work.
2: All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've had Doctor Herbert Harris here on the show, man, a real heavy man with a lot of great ideas and a lot of great things like that. So we want you to uh, go get that book, you know. So meanwhile, a lot of stuff going on down here, Black Wall Street uh, massacre down on Greenwood. A lot of people are starting to show up and things like that. So we want you to participate. If you take your kids down there, teach them something, you know, preach one, teach one. That's what we want you to do. You know, so you want so they can have that knowledge for our future. So that's what's going on. All right, this is the Bobby Eden Show, where we tell our stories our way, kbob com. Go visit our website, make some comments, uh, tell us something that you like, you know, that you love and care about, you know what I mean, and uh, we encourage you to do so. All right, until the next time, have a good one, okay? Oh, oh. Oh. This is Charlie Wilson
3: and you listen to 89.9 FM.